3 podcast. Robert here. Reggie to my left. We're joined by Mr. Jim Stepino. Thank you. Yes. Um, the gang, the Zone 3 podcast gang is in Philadelphia. Yes. It's beautiful here. It's my sunny. Gosh. We're very lucky to be joined by Mr. Stepino. If you would, kind of introduce yourself, tell us your background, your, talk sure. about your kids if you want. <laughs> yeah. All that. So uh, I'm an MR technologist. I've been doing this for probably 30 years, um, which is quite a long time. It's almost like right when MR started. But it uh, wasn't always like that. I wanted to originally, when I got out of high school, um, I had a scholarship and I went to Penn State main campus um, and uh, partied a little bit too much <laughs> and uh, ended up getting thrown out in three semesters. <laughs> so uh, that so didn't work out background, too well. <laughs> <you know. laughs> I knew I liked it, you for it was, a reason. Uh, it was quite an interesting scenario and uh, I go home and uh, my dad was like well I'm really sorry but we spent your college tuition when you got a scholarship and uh, you're you know on your own at this point if you want to do oh, anything man. so he got me a job at a friend's um, business packing swing set boxes <laughs> on a conveyor line and I did it for about two weeks and I came home and I'm like, dad, please, I can't do this anymore. I want to go back to college. I really think I like radiology and, uh, and want to go to college of misericordia up in Dallas, Pennsylvania. And, uh, I did and graduated cum laude and, uh, and really got into MRI at the time because they did an internship, uh, for MRI. It was like the first one that they had. And, uh, I ended up getting it. And nice. absolutely loved it. And so the internship was like three and a half to four months and uh, learned everything. I got to spend time with the radiologist and uh, they had their own on-site engineer. So I learned all about the equipment and uh, then the scanning aspect of it. And the, the chief tech at the time, uh, Lenny, a good friend of mine, he uh, didn't want to be really bothered, you know, teaching me. So he'd give me <laughs> books to take home with me every night and say, here, just read this and we'll discuss it tomorrow. So I'd go home and I'd read all the books on it and I learned everything there was about MR and oh, the nice. physics of it and everything and, and absolutely loved it and, uh, and just started rolling from there. Um, so yeah, so it was, uh, it was an interesting uh, thing and I got right out of school and I got a chief technologist job doing MR out in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at Muhlenberg Hospital. Nice. And, uh, it was basically just, you know, after that, um, I got another position that was offered to me as the, uh, basically the manager of imaging, um, with the group of radiologists in Easton. So I left Muhlenberg and, uh, at that exact time, the ACR accreditation was starting to come out and I'm like, we had an open scanner that we couldn't get accredited and it was horrible and uh, <laughs> low field 0.2 Tesla scanner. Oh, and no more. <laughs> I'm like, this is not going to be able to get passed for accreditation. Right. And so we got the one five done and, uh, and I'm trying to figure out how do you get this, the scanner accredited. And, uh, I knew that the bandwidths on the sequences were just not going to be compatible to make it happen. Okay. So I started doing some work with Siemens and, uh, they sent me out to Germany multiple times and we ended up writing protocols that would help the low field scanner pass accreditation. Oh, wow. Nice. And so it ended up being a great scenario for us because now we took those sequences back and I had the disc, the disc that we created and, uh, I'd go put them on low field scanners around the country and charge an insane amount of money. And so I, I put these scan, these discs on and, uh, we would basically take the protocols and be able to use them to get all the information that the ACR needed it and we passed accreditation and wow. I made a lot of money and I ended up putting that towards buying my first imaging center. Wow, yeah, nice. So. And was that also in Bethlehem? 
that was in uh we started with the first one in Easton, Pennsylvania. Mm. Um and uh cuz I had a lot of contacts there and uh we put in uh, MR uh and then we ended up doing a PET CT scanner also at another location. Now did yeah. you have I'm curious, do you have an investor cuz it sounds like that would take a lot of capital. Um to- we did I did have an investor mm. um and we did like a 50-50 split. Nice. And uh so the first two was with them and then after that you know, the yeah. banks would give you anything you wanted because you were doing well and yeah. making good yeah. money with it. And so uh, we ended up doing a gamma knife, and then I did a, a facility nice. at Good Shepherd Rehab Facility. Um, we did another one at Warren Hospital in New Jersey mm-hmm. and uh, and just grew until 2006 when the Deficit Reduction Act hit. And at that point, done. The insurance cutbacks were so bad we couldn't survive. So I ended up selling pretty much all my imaging centers, and I'm like, what am I going to do now? I have no idea. Nobody around here is going to probably hire me because (laughs) I was competing with all of them. (laughs) And so I ended up buying a human center going out of business and turned it into a veterinary center. And What were you inspired by? Um, just I lecture all over the the country and uh, world actually, and right. everybody was talking about veterinary imaging, and it was a big thing. And I'm like, this has got to be easy to you know. I'm like, I know MR, I know how to do this. It should be a very simple situation to start mm-hmm. a veterinary practice, mm-hmm. and so uh, we did. And we bought a it was a Hitachi Aries two, um, which I probably should have looked at different a little bit and <laughs> went with the high field at the time, but right. I figured okay. We got the center cheap. We can do this. It really had a low break even, and uh, we ended up having the uh, the first center, and it was it took off. And I'm like, wow, this is great. And so I um, I ended up getting a call from Procter and Gamble about eight months into it, and they owned three veterinary imaging centers around the country. And they were called the IAMS Pet Imaging Facilities. It was one in California, one in North Carolina, and one in Vienna, Virginia. And uh, they said they wanted to sell them and get out of it. And I was like, all right, we'd be interested. And they said, you fit both you know, the molds of the imaging part of it right. and having the veterinary experience. And I'm like, all right, what do you want for them? Well, we want $10 million. I'm like... I looked at their financials. I mean, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you guys have a negative EBITDA and you want to sell these things for $10 million. Right. Well, yeah, it's the, you know, the IAM's name and all of this stuff. And I'm like, sorry, not a chance. And, and so we basically said no to them. Well, I said no to them. My partners were not happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you're telling IAM's and Procter and & Gamble, no, we're not doing this. And I'm like, yeah, we can't. We can't do $10 million for these things. That we'd never break even. So um, it was funny. I said, they'll be back. There's nobody else going to do this. So Three months later, they call me back. Look, we changed our mind. Um, make an offer. And see you come up. I was, I was a little because it's there's a be. big opportunity. Yeah. And uh, I said, okay, let's you know see what we could come up with here and uh, and basically take and uh, have a scenario of we'll make an offer. Mm-hmm. So I looked at all their assets. I said, we just want to buy the assets. I don't really care about the IM's name. I want Animal Scan. Right. And. Um, so we ended up making an offer to buy all the assets of the business, and they took it. And within probably 16 months, my one partner and I, we turned the uh, venture around and we're positive after that. And now we've just been growing like crazy and putting new imaging centers all over the country. And uh, it's been a great experience. 
Very cool. Well, yeah. I know you've, so you've opened up human clinics and animal clinics. Which yep. ones was the easiest, would you say? Um, There's many regulations and things. The, well, the human stuff, you know, you got, it's it's really tough because every time you open up a human center, mm-hmm. you got to get credentialed for insurances. Right. The insurances don't want you in, involved. So it's oh, really wow. a very difficult situation when you have hospitals that already have stuff and you're competing with hospitals. Right. Um, they want to make it as difficult as possible for you to get accredited. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so... Capital Blue Cross and Medicare and everything they would take as as little time that they can basically do and make and stretch it out and really give you no support in it and then when they do come back with reimbursement situation it's mm-hmm. lower than anybody else around and you're sort of f- forced to accept it right. and so you know we were getting paid at the time for for human scans from Medicare was three hundred and twenty seven dollars a scan and oh. you could barely survive when you got brand new equipment and service right. contracts and all this other stuff that goes along with it so it's sort of like how can you keep these things going except by doing 30 scans a day and if you weren't doing that many you were hurting Mm. and so in the beginning with all these we were doing well we were busy and uh, then the insurance cutbacks when they cut back 60 some percent (sighs) now you're getting 200 and some dollars a scan and I was like I'm done I'm throwing in the towel I, I was literally putting my savings account to pay salaries on employees and stuff like that. Right. So it was really hard. And I can imagine and patient care just takes a big hit when it they does. do that, right? It does. And yeah. then you needed, you know, we needed JCO accreditation and ACR oh, accreditation and all right. this stuff. And veterinary, nothing. It was <laughs> oh, like, nice. it's basically <laughs> put a center together and there's no accreditation <laughs> stuff. So there's no need. concern about HIPAA either? Nothing. Okay. Nope. Not dealing with any of that stuff. So, you know, it's really, once you have that background and knowledge of how to set up an imaging center, veterinary comes easy. And, uh, and so what we do though, is some unique stuff. We have very specific protocols that we use for veterinary imaging and being MR tech, I had to learn anatomy all over again because (laughs) animal anatomy, there is not like, okay, dogs are close, cats, but it's still a situation that they have a different number of vertebrae and they have, right. you know, their brains are, are different than ours. So everything that you did with human stuff, you had to throw it out the door right. and start all over with learning the, the veterinary anatomy, especially when nice. you're doing monkeys and, and pigs and, yeah. and oh, just man. horses. So many varieties. <laughs> oh right? yeah, like- everything. So oh it's, it's pretty cool. We had a, a center down at uh, NC State University and we would do equine imaging there. And um, the first thing that, you know, we started, we, we get set up with it and everything. And nobody realized that you should pretty much put a catheter in a horse when it's under anesthesia. Because once you put them in the scanner and they just lose all bodily Bound, function, yeah. it is basically everywhere. So <laughs> my staff was cleaning... Uh, <laughs> cleaning the MR scanner for a little bit and uh, we're not happy with it. So after that, we started catheterizing all the the horses that we would do. Lesson learned. Oh yeah. And it comes out in gallons, not just a little bit, it's gallons. So (laughs) it's pretty interesting. So of the imaging modalities you guys offer, CT, MRI, are those the two? Yeah, pretty much. We we sort of stick with that. Um, I I think that's just been our forte and and really a scenario that everybody focuses on it. Would it also be easy to introduce x-ray? Most of the vet practices around, even from general vets to specialty practices, all have x-ray already. Ultrasound as well? Ultrasound too. Yeah, it's such a a, a low-cost modality Mm -hmm. that they can do it for themselves. But when you start getting into MR and CT and the cost get up there, uh, you know, we just put a, uh, a over a million dollar system in uh, in 
out in Tacoma, Washington at a group. Oh, nice. And they put one of the top-of-the-line uh, scanners out there. So wow. it's it's getting to a point now that they all know, you know, I want eight channels or I want 16 right. channels and I want, you know, higher-end technology because it's giving them more information. Oh, and cool. so, uh, so when you're looking at, you know, scanning a... A cat brain or a, a really small dog's brain, and you don't have the resolution to do it at low field, right. or you know sometimes even one five, it makes it very difficult. Their spinal canal is like a couple millimeters in size, so you got to be able to do really small fields of view, really right. high resolution images. And the better scanner, the better quality you're going to get, as you guys know that. Right. Well, and who who's reading these? Is it that veterinarian radiologists? We do. Yeah, wow, we have uh, awesome. veterinary radiologists, and uh, we have them around the country that read for us, wow. and. Uh, and we have some employed for us and some we contract with. Um, but the busier we get, the the more that we want to bring them on board. And they're very slim pickings. Oh, I can imagine. It so, sounds like an impossible job. It's it's interesting <laughs> because it's not like human where you learn one thing and you right. have, you know, just, you know, all the human anatomy. Exactly. Um, in veterinary medicine, you have to learn every animal that oh, is out there. Right. And, uh, and so I couldn't even imagine. Right. Yeah. Wow. And then there's so many specialty veterinary neurology and cardiology right. and dermatology. And uh, so all of those involved in, in this kind of specialty stuff. It's amazing. These are actual MR techs, CT techs that are scanning? Um, so, so basically in, in our field, we see a mix of both. Um, w- with our scanners in our sites, we have MR techs operating the equipment. I, I just try and get, you know, to make sure that we, we keep that standard across the board with, with for animal safety scan. reasons, I guess. Um, just for safety knowledge of yeah. everything and, right. and really being able to do some high end imaging at our mm. facilities. It, it's not really always a standard, just, you know, bring a dog in, scan their spine. we have some really unique things that we do. Um, when it comes to functional MRI, to oh, wow. diffusion tensor, to, oh, wow. um, we oh, wow. did a, a really cool study, um, with the big group out at, um, in California where we actually scanned the sea lions out there. Um, and the, the, they, they bring some cases to us and, uh, and it's the sea lions are basically having almost like acute Alzheimer's or dementia problems. And so they end up in people's pools in their garages and on highways. And, and so the Marine Mammal Center brings us these sea lions in to do MR imaging on them. So we scan their brain for something called domoic acid toxicity. Um, we do a, uh, we have very special techniques that we use and we look at the hippocampus on these sea lions and, um, we basically can tell if it's acute or chronic based on what the hippocampus looks like. And so um, if it's an acute situation, they can fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's chronic, they have to end up putting the sea lions down. So is that something like with MRI, like if you're evaluating for a stroke, like a diffusion or something? Technically, yes. We do a, a really 3D high resolution, like less than a millimeter cuts through the brain wow. um, in T1 and T2. Okay. Um, and then we can then reformat um, basically square voxels we make sure that we have and uh, and that we can then reformat images through the hippocampus. Um, it's interesting because it's the, the sea lions are eating the fish in the bay and the fish are eating, you know, the algae that's in there. Right. And uh, they're exposed to sort of a red tide situation. Uh-huh. And that's what's causing the demoic acid toxicity in the sea lion. So, you know, you look at things with humans eating seafood and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you wonder what kind of issues can it be possibly causing with the human situation also? Yeah. Right. Because it certainly correlates. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm curious that when you mentioned these sea lions, what's the treatment for that? Um, they medications, they basically give them and then they'll, they'll tag them and they can follow them to make sure that they are good. Um, we've had a couple sea lions that sort of like keep coming back to us. Um, so they've named them, but, uh, but usually the first treatment with the medications that the, the drugs that they give is, uh, is correcting it. Well, it's kind of cool because what you found is a niche. We absolutely. Which is what yep. I think Zone right. 3 Podcast is, by the way. But, <laughs> uh, yep, absolutely. Uh, but you're being approached by people. So yep. um, so you were just recently approached by uh, about a hyena, you said. We did, yeah. we uh, the uh, Two days ago, we actually, the, the zoos call us a lot of times. All right. And, uh, and so we get, you know, some really cool animals that we get to see at different centers of ours around the mm-hmm. country. And um, we did a pro bono scan for the Oakland Zoo on a hyena. And uh, he was, you know, just normal, always doing well. And in the last couple of weeks, he's been really going downhill. So um, we uh, ended up having a a scan done on him and we looked at his brain and uh, it ended up, thank goodness, he didn't have a brain tumor. Um, So I think that they'll be able to hopefully help him with the with drugs also. So. Yeah, very cool. Good. You mentioned earlier because we talked about it before the recording that you actually had an article that we could reference. Now, in the article, is there actual like images of this? Um, hyena? You'll see the actual. Uh, th- there's a little bit on the screen, I think, on yeah. the on the thing that they yeah. did. So, um, so we're on the road, but we got Dave with us. If Dave, if you would bring that up, we love you, Dave. <laughs> I'm still on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> So we probably can't hear the audio because we don't have it on. But basically, this they're, what they're discussing is uh, this hyena being imaged. What you just said. Yeah, they're talking about the uh, the Bay Area doctors doing this, and this is him frolicking around and uh, doing well before he uh, he got sick, and now he started to show the sickness and the problems that he was having, um, not eating well either. And then they're bringing him in for the MR scan. Wow. And our anesthesiologist inserting catheters. Um, that's Chris, our anesthesiologist. It's so cool. So I guess that uh, I figured we were going to bring it up eventually, but I'm curious, is it always anesthesia? Is it sedation? Everything. Every single case that we do is is basically under full anesthesia. Okay. Um, a lot of places that um, that do MR try and do it with just a propofol drip, mm-hmm. um, and and there's a lot of safety issues with that. And so we do full anesthesia where they get we we induce them with propofol. Um, to start the actual sedation process. And then we keep them under with either SIBO or isofluorine, which is a gas. Right. And so that's a lot safer of a situation than uh, a constant. If you're doing an hour, hour and a half MR scan, and you're basically having to give propofol the entire time, um, there's a lot of risks associated with that. Oh. We all know the whole Michael Jackson situation right. with the propofol stuff. Exactly. Um, so basically to do it with SIBO or ISO is really the proper way of giving. And then you can keep them under as long as you need to with the gas. Well, what I'm thinking about is the varying sizes you would need for that equipment, anesthesia equipment. It's oh, actually, right. it's, it's actually not. We have, um, we have a veterinary monitors that are MR safe, um, and vet- veterinary anesthesia equipment. And so you're using like a pediatric bellows 
that we uh, we basically have that that as long as it's adjusted properly for the size of the animal, that pediatric bellows works very very well with the, with veterinary. Well, I just for meant small like animals. for like the tubing, like a oh yeah, the totally tubing. different sizes all yeah, over yeah. the place. Mm. You know, you get a uh, you get a horse and uh, and <laughs> you want to put a you know intubate the horse and the uh, the intubation tube is five feet long. You know, it's a, <laughs> right. It's a little bit difficult in a situation right. like that. Whereas I, I had a woman one day when I first started doing this, it was in interesting. Um, I was out at one of the offices and, uh, and she comes in with a hamster and I was a little bit blown away that somebody brought a hamster in for an MRI <laughs> wow. and the cost was $2,300. Wow. So I hamster. made a little bit of a comment <laughs> and I was like, you know, you could just go down the street and buy another hamster for $10 oh, and your no, kids you will never know. <laughs> oh, she got very upset with me. <laughs> I was a newbie to the whole veterinary side of it. And, uh, uh, and it ended up, uh, you know, she's gerbils. like, this is a, a family pet. I can't believe you would say that. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm you know, right. we'll, we'll, we'll just do the MRI. <laughs> right. The thing died, I think six months later It had the mange and all kind of Aww. stuff going on with it. But, tough. but yeah, so okay. people bring rabbits in, we've scanned wow. kangaroos, we've scanned alligators, wow. we've scanned pretty much everything. It's a, it's like a really cool scenario. Always. But is there any wildlife that you ever do? Like, um, they- we did a, um, a hawk and an eagle, oh. um, and those are very interesting too, because right. you're thinking, how are we going to get this thing uh, yeah. sedated? <laughs> so what we did was we took a pair of women's pantyhose and and cut the leg off, and then stick the hawk down into the pantyhose, <laughs> and it bring their their wings in and uh, oh, nice. falls asleep, sort of like that. And then we gas it and uh, and do the whole thing. So. Man. <laughs> I need to buy more pantyhose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Works pretty good. So, right. um, but yeah, so you do, you try and do, you know, we're working with human imaging equipment. Right. So you try and really do what you can to make sure that you do everything necessary to image the particular areas that you're doing. Um, coils are really important. You know, if you're, and, and we all know that, you know, you put a, a four pound cat or a five pound cat in right. a large head coil, the, the signal to noise there is going to go horrible right, yeah. on it. So, you know, it's it's really all about training the veterinary technicians that we're, we're working with um, into using the proper coil for the proper area that they're imaging and, and how important it is to not have that big air gap around there. Um, so we really, we really, really try and push that when we do a lot of training with the technologists that are, are doing this. Man. So you've been doing it long enough. I'm curious with if there's common pathologies. There is. See a lot, and if that cro- if that's cross between different types of animals, it is. It's it's interesting um, that you know a couple scenarios there. First of all. The majority of imaging when it comes to veterinary is emergent. Right. Um, it's a down dog um, or seizures or something like that, that that really, I'd say probably 70% of our business is done on an emergent basis. The next wow. day or, or, you know, that day or the next day. And so we make sure that we have enough time slots in our day that we're going to be squeezing four, five, six scans potentially in knowing that they're bringing emergency cases in. Um, and so that's the way we sort of plan our days. We'll have a couple scheduled, but then the most of it is, uh, is done on an emergency basis. It's a lot of disc herniations um, oh, yeah. is, is a big, big factor. And, and it's either acute or, you know, a chronic scenario with the right. disc. Um, everybody doesn't realize that, you know, your dog situation, having it jumping off the couch or jumping off the bed, it's not as big of a deal jumping up, but when it jumps down, that's where dogs have an acute scenario of, of disc herniations. Right. So you want to try and minimize that kind of stuff. I know our dog, we, you know, he's 
trained to go up and down the stairs onto the bed if he wants to come up there and, and hang with us at night. Oh, nice. So that's that's a really important thing. And even a large dog, same kind of situation. Jumping off the sofa is going to be a big factor with it. Right. Um, so you really look at discs. I'd say that's a good 35 to 40% of our business. Would, and, you, um, would you diagnose a herniated disc the same protocol? Exact like, same way you would do in humans. Oh. Sa- I mean, sagittal. Yep. T1, T2. Yes, uh, a, a stir. Yeah. We're doing... Uh, we're d- the other funny thing that... that really, really surprises me with veterinary medicine, which I've tried to change forever and I can't get it changed. <laughs> they all want contrast on every single scan that we do. Uh, and it makes me crazy because is it truly necessary? You do know, they we, check for GFR or anything? Um, they, they don't. We, we, well, we, if we have an animals that we bring back on a continuous basis that have been, you know, we have the blood work. We look at all that stuff on oh, every nice. single case. Mm-hmm. So that's all part of the anesthesia protocol that we do. So right. if there was a situation where there was issues with that, we would absolutely know ahead of time. So nice. we have all that blood work done. Um, but and do you dose it the same? Yep, 0.1 millimoles per kilogram we give basically on on every case. Um, in some brain lesions, we'll do we'll do 0.2. Um, but you it's, just put on more fluid. To just a little bit more. Yep, more saline going in, and that's it. So, um, but it's it's a great scenario, and it's like so awesome being able to help animals and right. and looking at the field that you've been in, and yeah, it's been amazing with human medicine. But now we've been able to correlate this with animals, and it's just so so like satisfying. Right. Oh, yeah. I have coworkers that when I talk told them who we were meeting with. Right. They thought that it was the coolest thing in the world. They love to do it, like an opportunity yep. where they're scanning yep. hyenas and, yeah. and sea lions. And, and yeah. monkeys <laughs> with the, we do coronary imaging or cardiac imaging on, uh, on rhesus monkeys for, wow. for stuff like that. And, and some of it's research, um, but we have a policy in animal scan. There's, it's definitely a no, no kill type research. We will not do anything like that, that, right. that they bring in that they would want to do putting an animal down. Um, so that's always been our policy and, uh, and you know, but we'll do stuff that is very unique. They've, they've put a, you know, designed a catheter that, that works and we've done imaging with that or they've heart valves or, um, they put in particular catheters with medication induced type catheters and, uh, and we scan them with MR with that. So it's now, pretty cool. Uh, have you noticed that there are certain animals that just don't resonate as well? Like, are you mostly doing mammals or is it like reptiles? Um, and things like that well, we've scanned an alligator. Uh, oh, right. we, you know, we did a pretty good size alligator. Um, and, uh, and basically that was in a fight with another alligator and injured its spine. Wow. Um, so we did MR on the alligator. Um, so, so the sea lions, you know, yeah, that do they kind go of stuff. in for surgery if they do find oh, something? Yeah. yeah most okay. of the zoos will end up doing a surgical situation to, to help them out. So I guess which leads me to my next question. So you, you deal with implants as well then? We do. Oh, yeah, we right. um, we see, uh, you know, some interesting scenarios. Um, I had a neurologist at one point that asked us to, he, he designed a disc, like basically a disc replacement. And, um, and it was metallic. And, uh, and I was like, are you sure this is non-ferrous? You know, we're not going to have any issues here. He's like, it's all titanium. They, they sent it over to us from Here's China. It's created, you know, we <laughs> give the patient a ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so we, we put the, uh, the, the dog into the scanner and did the localizer. And I'm like, there is no way this is titanium. The, oh, the wow. artifact was so bad. I couldn't even see the spine. Oh, and, and I'm like, what 
are you bringing me here? This is not going to be possible. So now we ended up checking this stuff before we, oh, right. uh, before we, he puts them in and, and do it. So we make sure that they're, uh, they're safe implants, but, um, it's unique stuff. It's not, it's not like always, you know, a scenario in human medicine. We know everything about this stuff. Right. And, uh, and it's funny because Frank Schellick will get calls about animal stuff and he's like, Oh, you need to call Jim Stapino. I, I'm, I'm not touching that at all. <laughs> you know, so, so we, but we do get like more unique type things that were developed just for veterinary medicine. Um, wobblers is a big thing in, in Doberman pictures. Does it come and, with the same documentation? No. Okay. No. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like figure it out yourself. And it's probably not as definitive as far as their website goes. No, not at all. Compatibility. Yeah. And- yeah. We, we, it's not something that in veterinary medicine, these um, implants are really looked at for MR, you know, for right. the, because it's so minimal amount of MRs out there for veterinary medicine. So the safety is really not a big factor. Big well, I know a lot of people get their animals like microchipped. Yep. And I know... The, we the, tested that stuff, and and, uh, and they're all safe. Oh, that's um, awesome. They will cause an artifact because they okay. have, do have some stuff in them. But um, we try and make sure that you pull them away from the side of the spine and sort of oh. tape them off to the edge if it's anything. Um, they depending on where they're implant, implanted. Some of them are sort of in the skin a little bit more. You can move them, but others are close and you still get the artifact with it. I see. So uh, so it's pretty cool. Besides, I guess ortho. It, Implants and mm-hmm. the dog chips. Like, what are some of the other common implants you may um, see? They uh, they really have um, the the spine type stuff. Like I said, they're they're really looking at that. We don't do a lot of body work with imaging, which is right. really surprising to me. Um, I think you see a lot of appendicitis and stuff like that. But we, and and that's uh, the surprising thing. We don't get those for MR. Uh, um, the the veterinarians were trained really to use CT in a lot of things, of even though we all know the MR quality is so much better right. and gives us so much more detail and so much more information. Um, it's very difficult to get veterinarians to change their protocols of imaging. Right. And and really, you know, when you go in there and you teach them about how amazing that the abdominal work looks on MR and how quick we can do it and, and the quality you get and the contrast enhancement, um, it's really a different scenario to get them to, to really get comfortable yeah, using it. Yeah. And then the cost, you know, you're looking at, oh, you're true. looking at probably double the cost of an MR compared to the CT situation. So it, it is a little right. bit diffi- more difficult sell. Yeah. yeah. But we get orthopedic work and, and stuff like that on a continuous basis. And I can imagine just only from me seeing how, you know, there's more of these clinics out there yep. that there's been a huge growth in availability. What could you contribute that to? Is it more insurance for people's pets? Or? So, so there is. Mm-hmm. Um, we choose not to accept it um, because we all know what happens in the insurance industry with the human medicine. Right. Um, they give you a one-year contract and then next year, oh, you're getting paid too much. We got to cut your insurance contracts back. Right. So now they want to keep reducing you and reducing you and reducing you when they're getting all the money and you're not making it to survive. Right. And so what we do is we, we build a client and they then have policies out there now that the client gets to send the bill into their insurance and they reimburse you based on the bill that you do. And so it works out really, really well that way. And so, um, we're happy to keep it in that mode. Um, (laughs) and if, uh, if it, hopefully it doesn't change. Um, but, but yeah, I definitely, I, I, I feel like we would probably see more cases if we accepted insurances. Um, but 
I don't know where to put them at this point. We're pretty booked up with most of our sites, so right, right. Um, it's it's tough to just keep adding at that point. Well, it's probably <laughs> easier to get MRI scanners these days too, right? Maybe it, it is. Um, we're using human imaging scanners. Um, we get a lot of like um, used mobile equipment, and then we'll refurbish it. and uh, And we like you know Siemens and and some of the vets like GE also. So um, we try and make sure that we we offer them top of the line equipment with what nice. they can afford. Nice. Um, we do leases where we'll uh, we'll try and make it you know work for the vet practice um, where we we include the service contract in it which oh, nice. is a real nice scenario for them um, but you know it's all about really the coils that you're choosing when you're doing this yeah. um, nobody realizes that you know the head coil is good to have but you basically don't scan much at all in it. Um, uh, it's, it's really the knee the coil. Flex coils, I would Flex think. coils are great. Um, yeah. Body array type coils are mm, great. Right. Um, it's the other thing too is they want to be able to scan larger areas. So we always make sure when we put a mobile together that we do two body array coils. Um, oh, so right. then you can actually combine them and then right. plus the spine coil. Um, and then make sure you have a nice high quality knee coil. Um, so those are going to be your main and the spine coil on the table as we know that. Wow. Mostly one fives you have. Um, all one fives. Okay, I, nice. We don't deal with anything lower than one five anymore. I, okay. I couldn't deal with that part. It was more, <laughs> you know three hours for an MR scan on a on a point three Tesla scanner it just wasn't cutting it. Right. Yeah. I would so, imagine. Yeah, so we, we made sure Plus we the ended that. Involved, three T's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and and sites are putting three T's in now. Right. They're, they're wanting to go to the three Tesla systems. Um, cost associated with it, safety aspects. Right. Um, you know, you're you're looking at a lot of these these scanners. We're putting right in the middle of the specialty practice and there's people all around it. And so, you know, it's not like the ACR accreditation where you get zone one, two, three, four, we're, we're not getting that in veterinary medicine. Yeah. So you need to make sure that it's protected by your technologist who knows what they're doing and the safety aspects. So we try, we put RFID locks on every single door. Um, yes. So everybody who goes in there is, is only allowed to go in and has the right, you know, keys to get into the thing. So yes. they have their RFID, they go into the scan room and we make sure we close the door behind them. Um, when I first started this, I had an interesting scenario. I was uh, working with the specialty practice and uh, we put an MR in a mobile and, you know, we're training the vet and the, and the vet tech to um, use the MR and the dog's O2 sat started dropping significantly. So realized that the the intubation was probably not intubated properly because it was getting to be a dangerous level. Right. So I went in with the neurologist and uh, and the next thing I know, she's wanting to re-intubate this dog. And so I know what's going to happen. Somebody's coming in the uh, the door oh, with the laryngoscope right. and she's opening the laryngoscope to walk in the door and it's a big metal laryngoscope. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a missile. So I start screaming, no, 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 stop. Don't walk in here with that. <sighs> so we ended up, uh, you know, catching that. But you have all kind of stuff that you don't realize that, you know, safety things and, and right. you know, animals have, you know, are, can't tell you anything if they're laying on a piece of metal on the table or something like that, or right. it's pulled in the blankets that you're doing. You really have to know these kind of things before you go in there. I've seen, you know, sites have called me with serious burns of, uh, of animals that, because they've, uh, like my staff is all knowing about that, but right. you put a monitor in a, in there to monitor these animals and, um, you basically lay a wireless module on the animal or against the animal, there's a big chance there's going to be a serious burn there. Yep. 
And so you need to watch all those kind of risks when it comes to veterinary medicine because they're not telling you anything. You know, right. it's it's all on your staff that knows what's happening. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it's a it's a pretty cool, it's a great field. It's great with the it's you like know, a rebirth everything. almost. It right. is. Yeah, it really is. It's it really awesome. was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a success story for sure. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. I mean, I mean, I get kind of bored with just doing the mundane outpatient brains all day. Yeah. So like, it's like the unique stuff that I thrive on, right. and uh, this is unique. And yeah. I get I get so many MR technologists asking me for jobs all the oh, time. I can and imagine. What, where are I know, know, I could, I know a few people who send you resumes is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, one thing I did want to ask about in, in relation to the implants, you mentioned the dog chips. They're not that concerning. It's not a contraindication. Right. But is the information on it erased? No. Okay. No, it's a, uh, it's embedded in there that they, they basically, um, it's, it's all sort of put into a database and then you put the animal underneath the reader for the chip and oh, it's RFID. still there. It's based on a number that, um, that is basically pulled out when they put the chip, you know, when the chip is in and the reader picks that number up and then you put that in a database. And so it doesn't, it doesn't really come up where it's literally embedded into the, uh, the thing where it's going to erase a chip. Okay, cool. Wow. And then I imagine you see a lot of implants, like we said earlier, like 3D Im- printed images or 3D printed implants. Do you see that? Oh, ever? It's interesting because uh, we looked into that actually. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of veterinarians now are starting to think more in the 3D implanting of bones. Right. Um, and, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. There, I think there's definitely a market there. All right. Um, because they, they can really you know, come in, you do a CT scan and, and a high resolution CT and they can almost recreate a bone or recreate a a disc area or, you know, vertebral body uh, and, and really be able to do some amazing stuff with it. Wow. So yeah. So the 3d printing has come a long way. And I was at a, uh, I was at the uh, ACVIM meeting and we do a big sponsorship for all the veterinary specialists in the, around the country. And uh, we get there and on everybody's plate is a 3d printed bone where one of the veterinarians was actually doing that. And it was just amazing wow. to see it, the quality of it and everything. Wow. My yep. gosh. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool scenario there. Right. The times yeah. we live in, right? I know. <laughs> you never would have thought about that years ago. Right. Be the one to actually uh, pick that out and do right. it would be, be great. That, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's so amazing. I imagine you come across the same sort of questions from uh, patients, uh, owners. Is that what you... <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What are, what are some of the common questions you get? Um, it's really, you know, we try and give every owner as much attention as they want. Um, they Do they ask to be in the room? Um, not, we won't let them in the room and, okay. and let right. them in when, when we're actually doing the anesthesia part or anything like that. So a lot of our places we have like um, little holding areas where the, the owner can be with their animal on uh-huh. recovery or you know, pre, pre-intubation type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can go in and they can actually spend time there or even when they're waking up, they'll be with the animal when it's waking up. We have beds on the floor and chairs for the, the owners to sit in. Um, but we really try and make sure that the animal gets a physical exam tremendous before, um, before we actually take and do the, uh, the scan because there's so many things you're looking at given anesthesia. And if there's any risks associated with it, um, 
brain situation, uh, cardiac scenarios, anything like that, you do not want to give anesthesia in those things. Oh, right. So you need to make sure that the animal's blood work is is perfect before we start any kind of anesthesia. And then having an anesthesiologist is tremendous too because if there is anything that's wrong, we then can know ahead of time and alter our protocol for giving anesthesia of what drugs we're giving that won't affect the animal oh, under anesthesia. Right. Um, and we, you know, of course, there's so many risks associated with it, you know, and, and the owners know that when they're coming in, that there's a potential that that if that case is bad, if the dog's got a huge brain tumor or something, that we, you know, could lose a case during. And, and right. it's happened. It's very, like, I think since I've been doing this, we've maybe lost three oh, over wow. probably 70,000 exams. Awesome. Oh, um, so, you know, our results have been tremendous. But, right. you know, if you're bringing a dog in that's that's almost dead when it's uh, on the table right. and you need to anesthetize it to do this MR... The benefits of the of the test outweigh the risks of uh, of the anesthesia aspect of it. Wow. Well, and, and for certain like uh, indications that they maybe be ruling out, is there like a CT and then you go to the MRI for that specialized scan? Um, sometimes, if it's you know if it's a say a head injury situation, for right. example, and you're looking for blood, the first thing they're going to do is the CT stuff. Right. Um, and and like I said before, we have trouble convincing the veterinarians that body imaging on MR is so much better. So, you know, okay, they're going to do it with the CT and if they see something in the liver or whatever, now they'll send it for the MR. And and it's tough on clients and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I've had clients call me that have had MR scans elsewhere with their animal and they spent so much money to have this scan done. And, and they're like, my vet won't operate based on the results of the MR scan that I'm getting. And, you know, I, I really... They want, we want to come to you guys and get it redone and you feel bad for the client. And I, I've done scenarios where we'll discount it down to just the cost of that point, oh, nice. um, where we try and make sure that they get a good quality scan that they're going to be able to get surgery based on. Um, so that's, that's really the key. And, uh, you know, the, the owners don't know what kind of scanner that their right. animals going on. They have right. no idea and no idea what questions to ask. Um, you know, if it was me and I our, we're bringing our dog, I know we had an interesting scenario with our, uh, our dog. We were going to a party and, uh, we bought like a box of brownies for, Oh, uh, no. For the party, and my wife says it was me. I say it was her. One of us forgot to uh, to basically take it with us, <laughs> and we left it on the center island. And oh. we came home, and our dog ate sixteen chocolate brownies. Now, oh. chocolate is deadly to a dog. Right. Um, it, it's like literally just feeding them poison. Um, and he just started acting weird. And you know, basically, what are we going to do here? Um, so we run him to the emergency room at night. Um, he was getting all bloated from the chocolate and, uh, I, thank goodness I know everybody there and, uh, they right. took tremendous care of us and, uh, and basically, you know, induced vomiting on the dog and, and gave him the proper cardiac meds and everything else that he needed and he survived it. But that's like some of the worst things. And especially yeah. like a, a dark chocolate over a milk chocolate, it's really, that's, that's the absolute worst. And that's what was in the brownies as a dark chocolate. So, wow. you know, so you he didn't save you guys any brownies. Oh, no, they were all gone, unfortunately. Like. Yeah. But he made it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was, Shout out to him. He's a damn name? expensive <laughs> dog, Enzo. Enzo. I'm glad you made it, Enzo. So, uh, so yeah, so we, uh, we, you know, my wife was like, 
I want to get a dog. And I'm like, oh, do we really need to get a dog? We're so busy. It's just a tough scenario. Right. And so I said to her, listen, I, I'm okay. I'm doing this veterinary stuff. I could tell you right now that one dog that I will never, ever get is a Cavalier King Charles. And they're the most amazing dogs. They're beautiful. They're smart. They're everything. But they get a problem called syringomyelia, um, Chiari malformation. And we always oh, see that in humans too. Right. So it does the same exact thing where it pinches the, the cerebellum and it's sort of forces its way down into the spinal canal. And these dogs have all kind of issues. They, they, they get something called the air guitar sign where they sort of swat their arms in front of their face and they run around in circles and do all kind of crazy stuff. And that's how you know that they have a potential for this Chiari malformation. And it's sort of inbred in these particular dogs because the back of their head is so shaped rounded mm-hmm. that it's, it's actually designed to pinch the spinal cord almost. So I'm like, that's one dog I do not want. It's going to cost us a fortune. Right. I'm never going to get a, a Cavalier. <laughs> what does she come back with? I want this Cavapoo. So... It's a Cavalier King Charles and Poodle mix. <laughs> and it was a very, very interesting scenario because when we're looking for these dogs, I'm like very knowledgeable about this because we scan them all the time right. and we know the breeder situation and everything. So we start looking for these dogs and we're calling and I'm getting a lot of like Amish farmers that raise these dogs and had zero clue when I would ask do you know anything about Chiari malformation or syrinx in these dogs? What's that? I'm like, well, I, if you don't know it and, and you're not doing anything, I'm sorry, I don't want any of your litter. Yeah. So um, we ended up finding a woman in Texas that cost uh-huh. me like $2,400 for this wow. dog. You either that- really love that dog or you really love your wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the wife first, but then yeah. the dog is, it grows on you. So. <laughs> but yeah, a $2,400 uh, Cavalier King Charles that wow. I sort of broke down, but he's adorable. He's great. And he doesn't have Chiari malformation, which awesome. is good. Well, so. He's been scanned a couple Time. No, we All haven't right. scanned him yet, but I know he's his symptoms. He's got nothing, so he's okay. good. So, and he's older now, so it's, it's good. I know a guy. If you, it seems yeah. <laughs> like such a uh, a dynamic uh, breed there, like the, the, the those two type of breeds coming together. Like, it, was that done for a reason or just an um, accident? Type it's of thing? no, actually, that's a a specialty. So, so listen, we called them mutts when I was a kid. Right. Okay. So now they're now they're. <laughs> designer breeds. Ah. So instead of a pure breed dog, it was, you know, where you paid money for the pure breed AKC registered. Labradoodle. Yeah. Exactly. Now we got all these designer breeds we have to deal with. Oh, wow. So it actually was good because it changed the shape of the skull when they mixed the, the right. poodle and the cavalier. Um, and it didn't have that that real distinct rounded back of the skull like the cavaliers do along. Oh, awesome. Can we pull up an image of this dog? Because I don't even know what this, <laughs> these things look like. Yeah, they, um, uh, while, while he's doing that, I'm, I have two golden reach retrievers uh-huh. uh, both puppies almost a year old uh is there any kind of common seizures type stuff with the with uh, labs and and and, and that, let me tell you what that you just mentioned cancer after getting into this whole scenario i could tell you that i have never seen cancer so prevalent since i've been doing this i put oh. my dog down um, two years ago it's surprising how many animals have cancer yeah wow. and it like just blows my mind with how many to get it. Right. It's, a, it's a scenario that um, I was very surprised at seeing this when we got into the, when I got into this field um, because dogs really it's just two things: the environment that they're in or the food that they're eating. So oh, yeah. you wonder like what is so prevalent that's causing cancer in animals that 
you know, when they're, they're living in the same household with people and, and, but uh, so many of them develop cancer. It's surprising. Wow. Ed, do you come to any conclusions on that? Yeah. Uh, Are there certain, like, I mean, theories, I mean, obviously we don't know. Uh, Like you don't. And, and it's like, is it the foods that they're eating? You know, is it, is it not developed in ways that, you know, we try and do the fresh type stuff for our dog. Um, it's and expensive though. It is. It's yeah, extremely it is. expensive. Mm. And and you you know and then he was having stomach issues. So now we went yeah. to a a fresh dry food that's even more expensive than the regular fresh food. So uh, you know it's like you don't know what to come up with. No, right. I'm in that same situation. Like I uh, I wanted. To oh, read- there's our Enzo. Yeah. <laughs> he looks just like him right oh, there on awesome. the right side. Okay, I yep. get what your wife is. She's a very cute dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, that's almost exactly him right there on the right, and and his color is almost exact as ours too. So oh, awesome. yeah. All right, I see why she won. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty four hundred dollars. I don't have that budget though, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but very cute dog. Yeah. So, and and then uh, then we have a cat that they they both um, they both get along fairly well. It's interesting. But the cat likes to be in the room with you. So she likes to dig the carpets at the front of the doors oh. if you lock her out or lock her in somewhere. So right. I, I get a little annoyed with that. <laughs> I would imagine. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, I guess we're kind of wrapping up. One question that we always like to ask our guests, um, and I'm really intrigued. But your answer will be, I'm. What would you say is the most satisfying or most fulfilling moment in your healthcare career? Oh, that's a tough one. Other than, um, I feel like I'm going to answer for you because okay. I think, but so you can't use this, uh-huh. but just the fact that you turned a situation around from 2006 to where you are now, right. I think that's got to be so satisfying for you. It was. I was right. almost on the verge of bankruptcy at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then your and, partner with somebody, so there's that added stress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we were all stressed and and literally losing it. And um, it was a scenario that you know when you're when you're taken out of your own accounts to pay salaries of employees and stuff like right. that. Really, that was tough. that was definitely a turning point in my career. Um, when you know when we opened that first veterinary practice, and um, my one of my really good friends says to me, "You're crazy. I will never bring." spend that kind of money to bring an animal for an MR. Uh, nobody's going to pay it. I don't know why you're doing no, that. He's calling but you up to borrow money. He was my first client. <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Honest to God, he called me literally the day before we were opening up the, the place. And he's like, our dog is down. The kids are crying. I don't know what to do. He was our first client and he that's laughed so at me about funny. doing this whole thing. So oh, he'll get to see this. Humbling I'm sure. moment, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you can't say that. Okay. Um, but um, one thing I did want to kind of touch on is I think this specific podcast Always we talk about MRI related stuff, but yeah. I think we're covering a story of success, like entrepreneurship. Right. And I think so that's I, cool in itself. I, so my scenario, I'd have to say the most satisfying thing was I I have a hard time working for anybody. Um, so do I, I and not, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it really it's, does. It's, you figured like it out. I have I have <laughs> thoughts and things that I, you know want to see accomplished with facilities. Um, I, I manage some very successful imaging facilities and, uh, you know, put together partnerships with hospitals and stuff like that. And, um, but it really was when this ACR accreditation came out and I sort of grabbed onto this niche of really a scenario where the, at that point, the physicists weren't doing it. Everybody was struggling in the beginning as to how to do this. Right. And, um, I, I made 
so much money doing that, that it really was able to be my investment into doing my first imaging center. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it was just a niche that the, the manufacturers were calling me to send me to practices that, that couldn't get their scanners accredited. Right. Um, and, and I had a hundred percent success rate in guaranteeing the ACR accreditation pass. And, uh, and so we would go in there, we'd go through all the paperwork, go through all the images and, and, um, sit there and spend time with them to pull cases, you know, go through cases and get the cases done um, using their particular protocols, but enhancing their protocols to make them work to meet ACR guidelines. Right. And now that ACR accreditation has just taken off. Right. And, uh, and everybody is like, you know, has to do it at this point. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I don't do it because I traveled so much. It was, it was out of control how much traveling I did. Well, obviously right now you're not traveling much, but right. you've got imaging I do pretty centers all over travel. the country. You're yes. jet setting. Yeah. 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 I travel. You my, must get a lot of miles. I, I have a lot of airline <laughs> miles, a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of Marriott that. points, a lot right. of, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's pretty cool we travel my wife and i on those points we travel all over the place using uh using those points which yeah. is pretty good very cool so. nice. but i do feel like i answered for you but go ahead if you would tell us so, your so it was the moment. accreditation um okay. learning you know really being able to spend time with siemens and uh and going out to germany right and and having the 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 german people from siemens are like who is this guy coming out here telling us what to do to really make this open scanner work and we've developed this thing we've you know created after our high field scanners and to be able to sit down and prove to them that the specific sequences that I needed to see changed and when we brought the ACR phantom out there and we're able to see you know eight, 10 lines of spokes based on the bandwidths that we were creating for these protocols and the ones that they were using, they were blown away. And, and that was honestly my most satisfying moment in my career of being able to show a manufacturer to say that this is what needs to be done with these scanners to make them pass. And then, you know, I, I really did it for about two, almost a year and a half, two years. I would go out and travel and do that. Yeah. So that was a big part in me getting to where I am in my career. Wow. So and one thing we never talked about, but I think is for sure worthy of mention, you're actually a former SMRT yeah, president. Yeah, got presidential status in here. <laughs> That's right. Is it like president, president, where you're still referred to as president? Like, um, president, I'm, I'm past president, right? Okay. Well, past yeah, president. past president. <laughs> nice. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's so a very small... So we're meant small... to stand up when you enter the room, right? No, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great organization. Right. Um, it's done so much for, for MR technologists around the world. And I just, I'm blown away that not more MR technologists out there don't know about the SMRT and right. what it does and how you can get so many credits from an organization. Right. And now with the virtual meetings, um, we're, we're like tied in with credits for all the, uh, the ISMRM stuff too. So this past week, they just had the virtual meeting and you could probably get over 500 CE credits for a very minimal. And these are straight um, MR credits. State, straight yes. MR from That's some of the world experts in, uh, in imaging right. um, from all kinds of lectures that you could possibly imagine. So wow. it, it's and the just website a great, for that is? Um, smrt.org. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great organization. And not only that, I love going to the meetings. Oh, we we yeah. go to some amazing places. I don't know if you guys right. have been to one, but Hawaii, I love traveling, but I don't know Hawaii, if I love Italy, oh, Sydney, yeah. Australia. We were to just Hawaii, about to Hawaii was amazing. Oh, um, and we've had so many great great meetings. And it's the camaraderie that we've basically developed. Like you go and you know hang out with these people that you haven't seen from a year previously, and it's like just taken right from where you left off and right. go right back at it, partying again and having <laughs> fun and learning. And, and right. it's a, just a tremendous organization that friends that are lifelong that you'll never, ever, ever get, right. you know, get old from. That's amazing. It's a worldwide organization too, right? So you oh, got yeah. people coming yeah. from all over. All over the world. Man, so, and we do right it there, all over the imagine. world. Like, so it's, wow. it's so awesome to be able to go to a meeting that is, uh, is really just, you know, so developed and, and organized and, and the organizers who put it together are amazing. Um, and to really be able to put this virtual meeting that they did together so quickly right. has oh, uh, really surprised huh? everybody. Awesome, amazing. So. Well, it sounds like you're involved in a lot. We'd love for you to provide you the opportunity to kind of share your website or Absolutely. anything else you like with our yeah. audience. So if there's anything you want to plug. So, uh, so yeah, so our website is animalscan.org or .com. Um, and, do you guys have uh, an Instagram or any social we, media? Uh, we do, and it's uh, it's the same sort of thing. Animal Scan, uh, at Animal Scan is the uh, Instagram, oh, and uh, yeah. we're on Facebook also. But um, it's really, you know, there's so much information on there about, you know, us and what we do, and uh, and it's for clients and for, for pets and for uh, the referral sources and everything. So um, it's, uh, we really, we just redid the website, and uh, we're looking really, at it really it made a nice. difference. It yeah. looks really good. I love yeah, it. they did a nice job with it. I was uh, was very very pleased. So, um, and then just some some groups that we work with the AVMA and uh, Siemens Medical and GE and Epico where they're you know we sort of use a lot of their equipment also. So, wow, Reggie, do you have any other questions? I mean, are you hiring? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody asks me that all the time. We're, we're pretty good. We just hired an anesthesiologist who's coming from uh, to us so, oh, shortly, nice. so can't wait for her to start. Uh, well, we're going to so. link in for sure, you and I. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank we you guys so much. This has down. been so awesome. Been I'm, I'm really glad yeah. that you guys brought me on board to do yeah, this. Yeah, this has so. been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, we love your story. We love thank it. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. You're an inspiration <laughs> to me. You're an inspiration yeah. to a lot of people, actually. Sure. So Thank you. You're a success story. I think it's cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I, MR Techs can, yeah. there's so many fun. things you can do. You can tell you're having fun. You can tell you love it. I do. I love the field. I, I would never go back to human medicine ever again. I can't stand humans. He's <laughs> <laughs> just joking. That's yeah. not true. Joking. That's not true. <laughs> but, but it's really, it's like dealing with insurances, it's horrible. Like it's, nobody wants to do that. It's, right. it takes up so much of your job that, that you shouldn't have to do that part of right. it. Right. Yeah. So that is tough. Well, thank you, Jim. You want to thank our audience too. We're yes. Zone Three Podcast. We've got Zone Three Podcast.com where we've got a store. We've got merchandise. We do all those things that YouTubers do where we ask you to subscribe yeah. and like. There's and, a video up here somewhere. And uh, yeah. And Watch then, it. Right here's the link. I've always wanted to do this. Right here's <laughs> the link for the store. <laughs> um, but thank you again. We can't thank you enough. Um, I guess we're out, right? Yeah. Zone 3 Podcast. I, I don't want to go, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you again. Take care, guys. Us. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye. Thanks. Information and comments provided in the Zone 3 podcast and website are not intended to be technical or medical recommendations or advice for individuals or patients. 
the information and comments provided under the auspices of Zone 3 podcasts and their guests are of a general nature and should not be considered specific to any individual or patient. Whether or not a specific patient is referenced by the physician, technologist, individual, group, or other entity seeking information. Zone 3 Podcast may provide links or references to websites. Such links are provided as a convenience to our listeners seeking more information on topics. These websites are not affiliated with Zone 3 Podcast, nor do they endorse or manage content discussions unless otherwise stated during recording.